to Sports Beat KC, the Kansas City Stars Daily Sports Podcast. It's Monday, May 15th, and I'm Blair Kirkhoff. Today we're talking Chiefs with beat writer Jesse Newell, who gives us his thoughts on a couple of recent events. The offensive line setup for starters. The acquisition of left tackle Donovan Smith provides clarity to the starting unit. With Juwan Taylor on the right side, is the line better, the same, or worse than last year's group? Jesse and I disagree on this. We also break down the schedule, which was released last week. We knew the opponents. Now we have the dates and kickoff times, and as you might imagine, the Chiefs are primetime darlings. After a break, you'll hear from one of the recent interviews of Chiefs players during rookie minicamp. Today, it's former Kansas State defensive lineman Wyatt Hubert. He was drafted by the Bengals a couple years ago, but retired from football after last year because of injuries, and he went into medical sales. Now he's trying to work his way back into the NFL. Okay, let's get started with Jesse Newell. All right, Jesse, it's been a while since we have talked. A few things have happened in the Chiefs world since our last conversation. But but first, there was some football over the weekend. Did you uh, did, did you hunker down and watch the XFL championship uh, on Sunday? Uh, somehow had other plans, Blair. But uh, are you going to give me an update? Um, well, yes. As a matter of fact, the Arlington, <laughs> the Arlington Renegades, uh, after a four and six regular season, coached by Bob Stoops, won the championship. So wow. there's your there's your XFL update. Um, always good to see Bob Stoops in the news. We both covered Oklahoma games involving Stoops over the years. Um, I guess the other the other little piece of news that happened in the last few days that doesn't involve well indirectly involves the Chiefs, was the signing. Buffalo Bills signed Shane Ray. Shane Ray, former uh, Bishop Meade standout, University of Missouri, first-round pick of the Denver Broncos, hasn't been in the NFL since 2019 because of injuries and other factors, has signed with the Buffalo Bills. I thought that was kind of interesting. So, hey, random, random topic aside, Blair, while you were mentioning Bob Stoops, the thing I remember most about Bob Stoops and covering Big 12 media days is – I did not know this until covering uh, the Big 12, but his wife was huge into Mary Kay. Right. If you remember the Big 12, like there would be huge Mary Kay conventions alongside the Big 12 football. So like you would see his wife in there and like you would hear all the Mary Kay stories about his wife. And again, just one of those random sidebar topics you would never think of. But it was hard to get a burger at the local bar and grill uh, in the hotel where they were hosting Big 12 Media Days because all of a sudden you looked up and there were just a bunch of ladies in some pink extravagant dresses. One of them included was Bob Stoops' wife. Yes. Yep. That was always a kind of a, a running story throughout, uh, especially the early part of Stoops' tenure at Oklahoma that that uh, she made more money than he did. <laughs> As a, as a super saleswoman for... She had the pink Cadillac, is what you're telling she me. She did, yes, absolutely. Wow. Yep, absolutely. Okay, so we have not talked since the acquisition of Donovan, Donovan Smith. And not only have the Chiefs acquired Smith, uh, who is, who'd been the Tampa Bay Bucks left tackle for the last few years, but kind of it was Adam Teicher from ESPN who got it out of Andy Reid that Smith was going to be the Chiefs left tackle, or at least that's... That's the plan going into training camp. So, so Juwan Taylor is the right tackle. That's where he played with uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars. So it looks like the Chiefs have their offensive line set heading into training camp. My question is, 
is this offensive line better or about the same or worse than the O-line that did not allow a sack in Super Bowl 57 against the Eagles with two different left tackles, Orlando Brown Jr. and Andrew Wiley? It's, it's the same in the middle, right? Trey Smith, Creed Humphrey, and um, and Tooney. But, uh, but how about what, what do the new tackles do to this offensive line? Yeah, I guess the answer to your question, I would say better, just because when you add the top right tackle or one of the top right tackles in the market with Juwan Taylor and what they like from him athletically, I think that that is an upside play that they didn't have a year ago. And you mentioned that interior three guys are already settled. Uh, the Stoneman Smith thing we can talk over at left tackle. You know, he was injured last year, and so the Chiefs are obviously banking on a bounce back from him. But more than that, I, I just think that they are trying to avoid catastrophic events if that makes any sense, Blair. Like, going in, and, I, you know, Brad Beach was asked about this before they signed Donovan Smith, asking, what's your plan at left tackle, what's your plan at right tackle? So a left tackle is Juwan Taylor moving over there from the right side. Right tackle is a mixture of Wanya Morris, who they just drafted third round, uh, and Lucas Niang, and then, you know, potentially Luke, or, or Darian Kennard, who they drafted last year, and Prince Tegawanogo, who was their swing tackle. I mean, it doesn't take a, a great leap of the mind to figure out a lot of ways where that could go wrong. You know what I mean? Like Juwan Taylor just can't play left tackle. What do you do at left tackle? You have no options or you have very limited options. Okay. uh, What if he can, but you have an injury to him again, you know, you have a swing tackle there, but there's just a lot of things where you could kind of see the pieces go wrong. Like what if Luke Sneang's not ready and Wanya Morris isn't ready Um, or Luke Sneang isn't fully healed up. And what are you doing at right tackle? Okay. You're putting in Darian Kennard who obviously didn't get much playing time last year. So, I just think for the Chiefs, they needed an offensive lineman anyway, and this is one of their buy-low moves. I mean, getting him at $3 million base salary, Donovan Smith, that is, a guy that played really well for the first few years of his career and then you know had an injury March season last year, that is the sort of thing that they did last year. Like that, They kind of moved their buy-low receiver to a buy-low left tackle, if you're looking at it, and I don't know how much worse. I, I told you last year, I thought, I thought that Orlando Brown was a good, not great left tackle. I think that Donovan Smith is probably an average, not great left tackle. But again, for the price points between those two guys, uh, I think he was somewhere in the 90s for Pro Focus's uh, offseason pre-agent grades. And you get him at $3 million with the potential to earn up to nine. That's a pretty good bargain at, at what you got. So I think the Chiefs, the one part that this doesn't make sense is to draft Wanye Morris and to only think he's a right tackle. Because now you potentially think that Juan Taylor is going to be your right tackle for multiple years now. So we'll see what happens here uh, as it moves forward, OTAs, uh, mandatory mini camp, and then obviously training camp. But if they move potentially Wanya Morris potentially permanently to the left side and say, hey, we want you to be the backup there, we're going to teach you, train you there, that's where he played earlier in his career, then this makes a lot more sense to me. You have Wanya is the back of the left tackle, it's a developmental left tackle. You have Donovan Smith there as, as sort of the stopgap there this year. Juwan Taylor, right tackle, Lucas Niang is depth. That makes a lot more sense. But whatever it doesn't make sense is potentially if all these things play out and then they drafted Wanya Morris and he's only a right tackle, all of a sudden you got a lot of bodies at right tackle to back up uh, a really good player who you have put a lot of resources into. I will say this too, Blair. I know a lot of people get hung up on the left tackle, left tackle, left tackle. That's the blind side. There's been a lot of football studies out there in the last few years to basically say that left tackle and right tackle are of equal importance. And if you get pass rush from either side, it's going to blow up your play. So the Chiefs making this play is a little bit of an analytical play to put him on the right side, Jawan Taylor, that is, and maybe stick him there and have good production there. And if that works out, 
and they deserve credit for that. But there are definitely questions about Donovan Smith. A lot of holding calls, a lot of penalties, did not play as well last year. But he's even serviceable for the Chiefs. The other four spots are pretty well taken care of. And was set to make eighteen million with the Bucks this year. They had to, the Bucks had to make a move for the salary cap, and uh, that's why he was available. And he is. Um, it is a reflection of his his worth that uh, that he really is coming down in in, uh, in in contract this year with the Chiefs. And you mentioned it, and the thing that kind of worries me a little bit is the he led the NFL in penalties last year. He had twelve. Now I, I don't I don't have a breakdown. I don't know if they were how many were holding. I assume a lot of them were because of the position he plays, but. That's you know that, that's something that the Chiefs had cleaned up pretty well uh, a year ago last last season. The other thing is Taylor uh, had seven was it seven penalties uh, um, between them a pretty good amount. So I'm I, I I'll disagree with you. I, I think in in terms of just overall quality of play, the Chiefs take a little bit of a step back to even. Uh, with the uh, with with the Smith and, and Taylor versus Wiley and, and Orlando Brown, I thought Brown had a really nice second half of the season. His postseason was good, and Andrew Wiley was just kind of what Andrew Wiley has always been—just a solid contributor and um, and, and I, I think replaceable. And I, I think the Chiefs will be fine at right tackle. I'm worried about the left side, and they need to get a healthy and motivated Donovan Smith. I. I got to think that that was a problem for him last year. Even though the Bucks was the, the Bucks were a playoff team, they're in the playoff hunt, but he did fight injuries. I don't know how motivated he was to uh, to have a big year, and uh, the the penalties were just uh, just too obvious for me to over to overlook. So that's where the Chiefs are. Um, I and you mentioned it again. Uh, one of the interesting players to watch in training camp this season is going to be Wanya Morris. What side does he start on? Uh, do, do they have him behind Taylor on the right side, or they, um, or does this begin the you know the uh, you know, preparing the preparation for playing left tackle and stepping in for Donovan Smith? Um, uh, we'll have to see. I'm also I'll, curious. I'll play, about- I'll play Herbie card. It wouldn't surprise me <laughs> if they put him on both sides. But you know, it really wouldn't surprise me if they put him on the left side a lot just to see what he's got there. Again, he played that earlier in his career at Tennessee and then um, Oklahoma, they switched him over more permanently to the right side. They obviously liked him to move up to get him and they had to know, I mean, these things are all falling in the wrong order for us. You know what I mean? Like they had to know that Donovan Smith was a phone call away when they drafted Juan Morris. So when they took him, you kind of think that this has to be part of the plan to think that he can play either left or right. Potentially you can develop it in, into that if you still have the idea to, to sign Donovan Smith after this draft started or after this draft ended. So, um, yeah, I, again, this is sort of the, the play that they sometimes make, which is their faith is in Andy Reid and Andy Heck and um, the offensive line coach for the Chiefs. And so far, those faith in those two usually pans out pretty well. Um, but yeah, your point is well taken on the left side, Blair. I mean, Donovan Smith is a question mark, and we talk about the offensive line. It's one of those positions that we uh, – a lot of the – the smart community, if you will, or the, the, the people who study this thing call it a weak link, a weak link um, system, which means that four guys can do their job. If one doesn't, you're screwed. So that can speak to your point of potentially being worse than last year. I'm looking at the upside of Jawan Taylor and saying, hey, his upside is better than Orlando Brown and Andrew Wiley's and what they provided last year. But what you're looking at is the downside, which is definitely the potential there, which is even if the other four guys are really good and really doing their job, 
if you have a you know a not good player on the left side, that really can hamper everything. So I'm I'm making on more of a bounce back from Donovan Smith in this year, and and the potential that he was just hurt last year, and and that impacted the holding calls and the the penalties, all those sorts of things, and played through it. A lot of this stuff happens, and we know this from being in the locker room, Blair. Like last year, Orlando Brown earlier in the year played with a knee injury. Andrew Wiley played through his elbow injury. And those guys are being asked to do things and go in there and provide for their team, and even if they're not at full strength. So um, I'm going to bank on that being the case, and we'll see how it plays out for the Chiefs. But your point is well taken, that if four guys are doing their job and one isn't, that's still going to be a major problem for the Chiefs' offensive line. All right, just to clean up a couple things. Taylor did have seven flags last year. He gave up five sacks. Orlando Brown had six penalties, so he was in the neighborhood uh, in penalties as well. Donovan Smith has averaged 10 flags per year in his NFL career, so that's a little bit of a uh, red flag on the yellow flags. But uh, but he is better in the passing game than uh, protecting in the passing game than, than Orlando Brown. Of course, Orlando Brown was a road paver in the running game. Chiefs really benefited from that last year with the emergence of Isaiah Pacheco. Um, we'll see how Smith does in that part of the equation next year. Let's let's switch topics, Jesse. Uh, more recently, the NFL schedule was announced, and you know, any more the entertainment value on the release of the NFL schedule is the NFL teams themselves, the social media teams, um, with their uh, with their schedule announcements. I thought a couple were outstanding. Um, the, the LA Chargers again with their anime was was fantastic. The Tennessee Titans social media team did a wonderful job with their person on the street interviews. I read something about how that came together. That this happened, these interviews happened while Taylor Swift was doing a concert in Nashville. So you had a lot of Swifties in town and those were likely the people that were asked to name and identify the NFL teams that they couldn't and provided uh, hilarity for for all of us with their answers on identifying the Tennessee Titans NFL team. But let's talk about the Chiefs' schedule. We knew who they were going to play. We just didn't know when, and um, and we even knew where they were going to play. But um, any any uh, thoughts, observations about the schedule? Before you answer, I will say that last year the idea going in was the if the Chiefs could survive the first six, I believe it was six games with a break-even or winning record, they were set up well for the rest of the schedule. Turns out they were, uh, I want to say, four and two after those games, and went on, of course, to the great season that they had. What do you look at with this year uh, in terms of tough, uh, tough stretches and underrated games, et cetera, et cetera, Jesse? Yeah, so you know, this one is kind of. I don't know, top-heavy is probably not the right word, but, like, bottom absent, I guess I would say, that they just don't play that many bad teams. You know, last year, um, it turned out that way because teams fell down like the Rams that we didn't expect, and maybe that'll happen again this year. But, like, as it stands, if you look at sort of NFL power rankings going into this season, the Chiefs really don't have many teams that they play that are toward the bottom. Um, and, and that part of that's a credit to the AFC West, which is better than a lot of the divisions out there, or the company, a lot of the divisions out there, but... Um, the rest of their schedule, as you'd expect from a Super Bowl champ, they just don't play that many bad teams, if you will. So, you know, I wrote about this on KansasCity.com, just looking at the toughest stretch, it's the easiest stretch. I thought weeks 4 to 11 are kind of tricky because we're not only talking tough opponents, but you're talking kind of tough travel uh, and, and kind of circumstances surrounding it. Just because the Chiefs are the show, 
and they want to give them as many primetime games as possible. So that sometimes means Thursdays. That sometimes means being a different country. You know, like it's 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 so. Let me read weeks four through eleven. So you start at the New York Jets on Sunday Night Football, which as of right now, the draft odds have that as the toughest game for the Chiefs. The Chiefs are only a one point favorite in that game. Last time I checked. Next week, you're at Minnesota Vikings. We know that's a tough place to play with their fans. Then after that Thursday home game against the Broncos, so you've got a short week after you're playing at Minnesota. After that, you've got the Chargers at home, which, again, we know the Chargers play the Chiefs tough. Uh, the Chiefs needed a pick six last year to really pull away in that game, a 99-yard pick six from Jalen Watson. Really, you know, a huge play, one of the biggest plays of their season. And then after that, at Denver Broncos. Okay, you just played Denver. Now you go at Denver. And then you got to go play in Germany <laughs> after that. The Dolphins, which is not going to be easy. You get your bye week then to kind of recuperate, but then you get the Eagles at home after that and that Super Bowl rematch. So um, that to me is the toughest stretch because, again, it's combining tough opponents, tough venues, and you're going to different places and with short weeks. So that's going to be a lot of travel, a lot of uh, different things going on for the Chiefs. Uh, To me, the easiest stretch is right after that, but it basically is, I mean, we call it easy, but two of the five games I call an easy stretch are at or at Green Bay, which again, tough atmosphere, going to be uh, Sunday night football, and at New England, which is Monday night football, Bill Belichick, those fans will be ready to go too, but you know, at Vegas, uh, at Green Bay, home against Buffalo, at New England, home against the Raiders, I mean, most of that, quote, easy stretch is just you're playing the Raiders twice, and right now people are not expecting the Raiders to take a major step forward, so I think that's kind of what I, I parsed when I read through the schedule, is just the easy and tough stretch is a little bit harder to decipher, just because even that easy stretch I, I went through is mostly just because they play the Raiders two or five games. It still includes at Green Bay, at New England, oh, playing at home against the Bills, who might be the second-best team in football. So, um, yeah, this is another intriguing slate for the Chiefs. And uh, as our Sam McDowell, our columnist, wrote, uh, might be a little bit tougher than people will tell you out there because the records of these teams that are going to be anticipated is better than even what they were a year ago. So um, this is locked and loaded, but I will tell you, based off all these markets, uh, everybody loves the Chiefs out there in Vegas because they are the only team as a favorite in every single one of their games uh, going into the season. And uh, a lot of the ones based off of those market lines, we can kind of gauge who uh, Vegas thinks are the best teams out there. And the Chiefs are at least a point ahead of every other team out there. So the, the nation and the betters and the sharps out there are still very much high on the Kansas City Chiefs. 17-0 season coming up. I can I can feel it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not how math works, Blair, but very close. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. You've got a 55% chance of winning and a 60% chance of winning and a 70% chance of winning. You're probably going to win two out of three. So, uh, yeah, we always kind of have to clarify that for, so that Vegas is not saying the Chiefs are going to 17-0, but um, 12-5, and 11-6, and six, that's probably somewhere in the, in the realm of where they are supposed to be. And if they get that again, they're going to be right up there at the top of the AFC. Well, as we continue to do the math on this, um, the, the Chiefs, I believe, went into 2022 with the, with the NFL's most difficult schedule based on the previous year's records of NFL teams. Well, at the end of the year, those t- the Chiefs went 14-3, and three, so the Chiefs' opponents had 14 losses, and that made the Chiefs' schedule not the most difficult uh, because the Chiefs beat everybody on that. I, I imagine that's how it works. When you have a good record, your schedule is not as turns out to be not as difficult as it was when uh, the season began. And uh, I suspect that'll be the, you know, the Chiefs have one of the most difficult schedules uh, because they play the, you know, the, the, uh, the, the top team in the, in the other division because of the schedule formula, right? The NFL schedule formula, they have more first place teams on their schedule than others. Um, but if they end up with another 
you know, excellent record by the end of the season, it won't be deemed the most difficult or uh, it'll be less difficult than when they played them. But that's, that's how math works, right? Yeah. I mean, you look at this, like it's probably the bears, right? Are the only team, you know, so that's probably where the chiefs, you know, you always play a team or a division from the NFC. And if the chiefs would have played like the South this year, that would have been a big bonus because you really can't pick a good team out of the South. But yep. um, as it is right now, it's probably looking at, you know, at what what's that week three at home against the Bears, which, listen, we know the Bears travel too. They're going to have plenty of people in the building at Arrowhead uh, for that particular game. But outside of that game, again, on paper, things change over time. Like I said, the Rams were supposed to be good last year. They ended up not good last year. But um, on paper, that probably is looking like the only one that the Chiefs are going to be a very, very comfortable favorite in. And the rest of them, you know, you start to say, hey, between 55 and 70, 75 percent, the Chiefs are going to win this game, and that should make for great football, make for great primetime games, and that's what the NFL is banking on. Well, a couple of years ago, the Lions and the Jets would have been bottom or were bottom feeders, and would have, you know, uh, would have been walkovers uh, for the Chiefs. And you know, Chiefs would have been double digit favorites against either one of those teams. Um, you know, if if they were the Lions and Jets of 2020 or um, or 2019, but that's not the case. They're now, as you said, the Jets, the most difficult opponent on the schedule based on the, you know, the odds makers and the Lions are the opening game opponent. I mean, that's how attractive the Lions are or, you know, that they don't, you know, that it's not the Bears in the opening game. It's the Lions in, in, in the opener. And that is done with the anticipation of, you know, telling the Lions story to a national audience. They were nine and eight last year, didn't as I recall, did not make. Am I wrong about that? Did the Lions make the playoffs? I don't think they did. Uh, they were in the last game against Green Bay. You remember? Oh yes, 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 yes. Um, uh, so, but they're again. They're they're supposed to be a good story this year. Um, uh, we'll see. We'll we'll see. I I think of the opener as a. It's a good opponent for the Chiefs. It reminds me of the opener four years ago when they 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 played a Houston Texans team that was supposed to be good and. Chiefs had beaten him in the playoff the previous year, and Chiefs handled him pretty easily on that uh, that Thursday night game in front of about twenty five thousand people because that was the first NFL COVID game. So, okay, uh, Jesse, I think that's all I got for you. Um, the the um, uh, you mentioned the primetime games six for the Chiefs right now on the schedule. With well, the it could be more, right? Uh, they they could get flexed into a primetime game as well. That's great for you, isn't it? The uh, the, the prime time. It's great for great for the media. Look, fans love them. Uh, guys in the press box, people in the press box, do not love them. The Chiefs have one noon game that's not on Christmas. So, uh, <laughs> uh, so I mean, if you want to put that one in your calendar, Blair, you can say noon game. You know what I mean? Because everything else, you just know you don't have to show up at noon. I mean, let's see which game is it. I mean, I'm not even remembering it right off the bat. Um, well, at Jackson Jaguars at noon on Sunday, September 17th. So that's it for the year. And that's a pretty good game, too. So, um, yeah, that's it. That's it for the year. But, again, the NFL is not about us. And I've heard from lots of people that, you know, the later Chiefs time is actually kind of nice. You get to watch some red zone at noon, you know, the, the witching hour at 2.30 where all the games kind of come down to the wire and don't have to worry about having your attention diverted between that and the Chiefs. So the Chiefs are on prime time. They deserve to be on prime time, and that's what you get when you're at the top of the mountain. No doubt about it. But let's do a little further examination of the two noon games this year. One is in the hottest city in the – one of the hottest cities in the NFL in in September, not even in December, 
And the other one's Christmas Day, you know, on at noon, not at night where you're done with the Christmas activities of the day, but at noon. So I think they even got hosed on the noon starts as well. So yeah, we're, we're mostly Christmas Eavers in this household, so uh, we'll make do. It'll be all right. And then, uh, yeah, lucky for us, press boxers, yeah, the, we'll be in the press box on September 17th. All right. Enough. Buddy down there. That's my griping. Enough of that. So, <laughs> all right, Jesse, thanks for the conversation, and we'll talk again soon. All right. Sounds good, Flitter. Here is an interview with defensive end Wyatt Hubert from last week. Hubert, who played at Kansas State, was out of football last year and is trying to make his way back into the NFL. Wyatt, you played how many years with Felix K-State? Just one? Uh, just one year. Yes. When he first came in, he kind of got a late start that year because of the scholarship deal. What, what do you remember about him? When you first got there, um, to be completely honest, you know, seeing him just as a, as a freshman, you know, he he was on the travel roster with us. Um, you know, he obviously as a young freshman, you know, made a lot of mistakes, and I didn't really expect him to be what he would be now. Um, but that's just you know the the constant improvement that he made, and you know, kind of the mentorship that he had at K State. That's what got him here. So. Was there a moment that season where he did something where you said, okay, there's maybe a little more to him? Yeah, well, the first time he got in a game, I think, if I remember correctly, was the Kansas game. Um, Paul, we're back up saying that's when he got his first career sack. So, um, you know, that first career sack for anybody is the first momentum change. You know, that's uh, definitely a spot where you get your confidence from. What do you think about this opportunity with the Chiefs? You know, you had the yeah. opportunity with Cincinnati and like now uh, this. What do you think about this opportunity to try to get the NFL? Yeah, it's crazy. Um, you know, wearing wearing an arrowhead on my chest is definitely special. Um, it's like it's like wearing a walkout on my chest too. So it's crazy. Definitely think we'll be here. T- t- take us through your path. How did uh, mm-hmm. when did the call come and how did that go? Yeah, well. You know, obviously this last season, you know, I was retired, wasn't playing football, was working a regular job, living a regular life. Um, and, you know, I worked probably five to six months. About the last two months, you know, I started to, you know, think back and it was really hard to watch a football game just knowing my close friends that are on teams who are playing and me just watching a game, kind of knowing that I could, I could do that too. Um, so... I definitely just thought about my decision. You know, I definitely went back and forth with it a lot. And it was a tough decision, but you know, I decided, you know, this is such a short window in my life. Why not take advantage of the opportunity and uh, just give it my all? Right. Working. Uh, what were you doing? What were you, what were you I was doing? actually doing medical sales. So right? I was working with orthopedic surgeons and attorneys, uh, medical equipment. Living in Manhattan, Topeka? Uh, Kansas City area. Yes. Why are you working? Were you still working out or were you just... I never stopped working out. Okay. I always, uh, even though I wasn't playing football, you know, I always treated myself like an athlete, you know, in the weight room with my diet, everything I did, you know, I still took all, still took all that very seriously every single day. So that definitely helped my transition back into football. How does it work? Did you have to let it be known that you, that you wanted to get back in the NFL or... Yeah, so... Um, you know, I was thinking about it. I talked to my agent a little bit about it. Um, you know, he said, well, we'll see, we'll see what we can do. Um, he went to the combine, brought up my name during the combine, the whole combine process. Um, and he mentioned my name to a few teams and uh, we had our fingers crossed hoping that a few teams would give me an opportunity and uh, three teams did and the Chiefs being one. So, um, like I said, with being the Chiefs, you know, that meant a little bit more. So um, I took the opportunity and uh, you know, I gave him all these last three days and hopefully the outcome is good. Do you have any other um, 
rookie camps lined up in case this doesn't work out? I do, I do. And uh, like I said, um, you know, hopefully I can land on the Chiefs, but if not, you know, grateful opportunity. Where, where would you be going if it doesn't work out here? Um, see, I, I've been told not to share that information. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like I said, two other teams, uh, one AFC team, one NFC team. So. Why, you mentioned how how much of an honor it is to put the arrow in yeah. my chest right now. Give us some Chiefs memories. I mean, you're from close by. Yeah, you know, that was what we did as a kid growing up. You know, we would go to church on Sunday, come home and watch Chiefs football. <laughs> so it means a lot for sure. Has so, you ever been to a game here? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Oh, yeah. Been a lot of games. What are those memories like? Uh, it's crazy, you know, cold for sure. <laughs> but, uh, you know, being at Kansas State, you know, the cold is nothing I haven't dealt with before. But uh, like I said, you know, just seeing Arrowhead Stadium, especially when you're driving down the highway, you know, and uh, pulling up the facility, it's crazy. So. so now that you're back in the full swing of being in the league, uh, have you already told the medical sales that, hey, I'm going to be out for uh, They were very, very understanding. My boss was actually a professional athlete, so. And he was in the same shoes I was. He played uh, basketball, played the NBA for a while, and then decided to retire, and he went back and played. So he couldn't have had a better boss to be a more understanding opportunity. <laughs> who is who was that? Yeah. <laughs> um, his name is Todd. Um, he was one of my bosses at the place that I worked at, so. He played college basketball a few years back, but uh, yeah. What what prompted you to retire in, in the first place? Yeah, there's a lot of things that went into it. Um, you know, obviously injuries was the main thing. Um, I've had a lot of surgeries, and uh, you know, a lot of times surgeries, once you're cleared, you know, people are expecting you to be fully healthy, fully cleared, and to be pain free once you're cleared. Um, that's not necessarily how it works. And with me having the amount of surgeries I've had, there was just such a buildup of things, prior injuries that just were long lasting that never went away. So it was tough. It was very tough because, you know, stepping away from football the first time, it was very tough. But, um, you know, I really don't regret, regret stepping away from football the first time because um, I think stepping away and then returning and then seeing where I am now, you know, this um, coming in now knowing what I knew from before and experiencing what I experienced. Um, I know what to do, what not to do now. And it's definitely made me a better player for sure. But you anticipated when you did step away that that was a final decision? I did. Yeah, yeah, I did. And uh, like I said, the last probably two or three months um, of this, you know, start from here, you know, I was just going back and forth, you know, wondering, you know, should I do it? Should I not do it? Like I said, I really struggled watching football games uh, this last fall because I have friends and uh, people I train with, people that I played with, you know, you know, on the TV on Sundays. And uh, unfortunately, you know, not to sound bad or anything, but you know, there's people out there playing that I'm like, wow, that guy's playing right now. So um, <laughs> I'm like, if that guy's doing it, I have to do something. I have to step up and, and go prove, prove something to myself. When you say struggle, do you mean? You didn't watch them at all, or it was just difficult as you were watching. It was difficult, uh, especially not not the college games, but the NFL games for sure. Just like I said, seeing close personal friends out there playing. Um, you know, a lot of people, you know, very talented players, but some people out there, you know, especially some of the guys on practice squads, you know, like that that really ate me alive. Seeing guys on teams on rosters that I knew performed better than in college, so that's that was probably the main indicator that really. Thanks, guys. Thank you. That'll do it for today. Thanks to our Sportsbeat KC production crew of Randy Mason, Monty Davis, Jeff Rosen, and Scott Chasen. Tip of the cap to Jesse Newell for sharing his insights. 
the best digital sports section in the country can be found at liveedition.kansascity.com. Check it out. See what I'm talking about. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon with another Sports Beat KC, where we talk sports in Kansas City every day.